I want to thank Pastor Scott for, um, for stepping in in, in a short notice. Um, you know those COVID tests are like pregnancy tests, right? Like you, you take the test and you think you're good, and then all of a sudden you see the second line, and you're like, it's a boy. So anyways, um, I, I took one of those tests because I had a little, you know, just little cough, and, and there was going to be a big family event, and, and so I, I took it because I didn't want to be the, the bringer of, of extra stuff to the party, and sure enough, there it was, and I had a little man meltdown after that. I'm like, really? I couldn't believe that that happened, but, um, but at any rate, it, now that I've sampled from a little bit of the COVID alphabet, I would say um, the O is better than the D, so like, I had the Delta, and would never want to mess with that. But the Omicron was just a little cold, and I'm feeling good, and I'm, I'm free and clear. And so thank you for praying for me, and thank you, Pastor Scott, for, um, for stepping in. I think this is just the world we live in, I guess, and, um, and I'm grateful that, that God is faithful, right? It, he always knows what's going on, and uh, it, was, it was cool to be able to tune in online and, and watch the service uh, live with you all. And in that, I just um, I feel like... It's important to, to acknowledge those that watch online, and I think we fail to do that quite often. And having sat in my living room last week to, to do that, I just want to acknowledge you and let you know that, um, that we're grateful that we have an online uh, attendance as well. And, um, and this morning, um, we're grateful that each one of you are with us too. And so uh, this morning, I want to continue on in Exodus in our, uh, in our series on the way forward. And... Um, I want to go back into Exodus chapter 16 because I, I, as I was praying and studying, I think there are some things there that I'm, I'm, I'm unwilling to let go of. I really believe that, that God wants to share some things with us this morning. And so I'm going to do my best to do that. And, and kind of a, a fair warning is like some of the things that I want to share with you, I feel really deeply, right? I feel them really deeply. And sometimes the experience is like when I feel something really deeply, I want you to feel it really deeply. And, and, and so I share that as such a, in such a way to say that, that some of these things are, are clearly what I see in God's word, but they're also something I believe God is speaking into my heart and speaking to us. And, and so I want to, um, I don't want to ever take liberty with the scripture, but I, I see some things that I think have a, a translation to this moment in time in regards to this way forward. And the more that I study Exodus, the more that I look at, at the, the journey of the children of Israel from their captivity to their freedom, the more that I, I am convinced that it's like the whole point of the Bible, right? It's in, it's in the whole book, this idea, and it's more than a metaphor. It's just kind of the story of life that we're on a journey towards greater levels of freedom. Would you agree with me on that? And, and, and I'm going to share with you some scripture from the New Testament that reinforces why I believe that. But um, just in, in context and review of some of the things that we covered before we jump into today's uh, message in Exodus chapter 16. In Exodus 15, um, we, we talked about the, the kind of the peaks and valleys of, of what God was doing in this whole nation. And, and mind you, it wasn't a small group of people. It was this large group of people, this, this refugee nation, um, approximately somewhere between a couple, two to three million possibly, just depending upon how you do the math. But you, it, it's not just a handful of people. It's a nation of people. And as they're, they're leaving with the, the highs of crossing the, the Red Sea, they enter into the, the wilderness after the third day of no water. And what happens when you haven't had water for three days? We kind of talked about that a little bit. What happens? You get dehydrated, right? That, that when you get dehydrated, you get cranky, man. You, you, you want water when you want it. You get fatigued. 
and you go through a physiological uh, experience that kind of makes sense why you would grumble and complain. And they certainly grumbled and complained. And in, in that time, they, um, they, they grumbled before God. God came through faithfully. How many of you are grateful that, that God loves us no matter what? Like he loves us unconditionally because any time that, uh, especially like, you know, parents, you'll, you'll understand this or, you know, if you've taught school or whatever else, when you get around like a bunch of grumbling, I guess you don't even have to have, be a parent or teach school. Just when you get around grumbling people, um, you just, it's just not that lovable, Right. It's not like you just want to be like, hey, can I do something for you? I love being around all this grumbling. It's amazing, right? And, and so God in his mercy, um, he, he still provides. And the way that he provides was really interesting was that they come, to, they come thirsty, they come complaining, and then they come to waters that, that were bitter and brackish, right? So it's like no water in the wilderness. Now they have nasty water. And it's like, really? I'm thirsty, and then this is what I've got. And at that point, um, God shows Moses this, this piece of wood or the stick, and he puts it in, and, and it becomes sweet water to them, and they, they're able to be nourished by it. And the, the point that we came to there is a really important one that I want to keep alive in our hearts and minds is that we are participants in this idea of freedom. God is a great and gracious deliverer, but you are a participant in your freedom. Everybody say, I'm a participant in my freedom. There's stuff there that God wants to show you. He's, he's so good in his grace. He's handing you stuff for sure. He's delivering you. But there are things that you are uh, in a relationship with a deeply relational God. That he works with you, together with you. And, and here he goes, here's how you can be a part of this miracle. And as they were, they, they drank. And then they went on into the next part of their journey, which was to Elam. And you remember Elam was much better than Marah. That in Elam, they came to this place where there were, there were 12 springs of water and there were 70 palm trees. It was like, ah, you know, you, you went to like, it's kind of like when, and we call this the road trip, right? That when you're on this road trip to freedom and along the way, maybe you stop in some like nasty rat infested motel or something. You're like, really? You kind of like lived through that moment. And then some of you are like, no, never done that. But anyways, maybe just hypothetically, you stop at a nasty place and then, then all of a sudden you're into a new spot and it's like this glorious place. Have you ever had that experience before? Life is kind of like that, right? And sometimes we base everything on this like nasty experience. But just right around the corner is something so glorious. And, and God is not always at you. He's not always whittling away and testing. Sometimes it feels that way. But there are these moments of rest. And we're not going to be able to get into it today, but I'm hoping next week we can of understanding what his heart for us in rest really is. His desire for us to Sabbath as a people, just to, to, to taste and see that he's good. But what you find in, in Elam is this like, ah. Oh, Here's some shade. Here's plenty of water for everyone. And then we go on into the next leg of the journey, which um, Pastor Scott began to lead us through. And, and, and Scott, I just want to say thank you um, for not just like teaching us, but ministering to us. You know, I think that's in, in who you are. And, um, and I, I, I could I wished I was here, but I could just feel that even in watching it online, how how you, you brought us through this understanding of, of of it's not time to grumble. It's time to have childlike faith and trusting who God is and then allowing us to experience and taste and see that he's good. And so when we get into this Exodus chapter 16, um, and maybe by way of a, a little bit of a, a review, I want to um, I want to go through just a couple of, of definitions for us because we're, we're, we're talking about freedom and we're, we're talking about 
um, this desire that God has to, to give us these things. And, and, and what, what I saw um, in this review and what I saw in, in this next step was that, uh, that when you come from such captivity, and we've been repeating this, but when you come from such captivity, you almost have to detox all that captivity in order to understand what freedom is. Okay, does that make sense? And, and I think part of the grumbling process was getting all that junk out, and we'll get into that a layer deeper. But when we talk about freedom and, and we talk about this way forward being this ever-increasing life of freedom, I, I want to give you this, just de- this definition. And this isn't the only definition. This is just something that came to my mind, but um, what, what freedom is. And, and freedom, um, as I see it, and this is I'm praying into this, and what I believe God wants to give to us is, is a greater capacity to live as you were created, right? That God created you in such a way that, um, that you were intended to live free. You were intended to live out the gifts that he's given you. And you've heard that probably your whole Christian life, but, but a greater capacity to live as you were created. And, and this is how, in an increasing love and trust-filled relationship with God, Seeing God in truth, seeing yourself in truth, and, and free from the hold of sin. I mean, doesn't that sound like the life that we want? Remember I was saying I feel this stuff really deeply, and I'm worried that you're not going to feel it really deeply. <laughs> like, feel it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm going to read it again. Freedom is a greater capacity to live as you were created. And, and part of that way you were created is to, to live in, in not just a one-time, like, wow, but in an ever-increasing Love and trust-filled relationship with God. Seeing Him in truth and seeing yourself in truth and free um, from the hold of sin. Um, this, this captivity that we have, I, I think that we, we have it in our lives so much sometimes that, that we're unaware and we become like resistant to freedom. And that's what we see in the children of Israel. They're like resisting this freedom God wants to bring them because it comes at a high cost. Um, they, were, they, they preferred the captivity that they were accustomed to. You've heard this analogy before, but um, sometimes I think like in our lives, we're like that circus elephant, right? You heard how they, they just painfully train the circus elephant, you know, from, from the time that it's just a little elephant pup. You know, it, it gets the chain around its ankle and it's chained and it's, it's, you know, mistreated in such a way that it's taught like, you don't get to go anywhere, you don't get to go anywhere, and that, that chain becomes its, its mentality or its reality. And so that it, it knows that whenever I've got that anklet around my ankle, um, I, I got nowhere to go. This is my area. This is my captivity. And eventually, the will of that animal is broken. And it's broken, so then the, the one who chains or keeps that, that elephant, this huge, powerful elephant that could just stomp people, could just move, will not move once that chain is around their ankle, and the chain isn't chained to anything. Are you tracking with me? This is a thing, and this is like kind of the analogy that that we are held in these captivity situations where we are captive to sin, where we're captive in the mind and in the thought, the mental battles that we go through. We're captive to things like insecurity of never being enough. We're captive to longing, you know, longing for uh, who will love me or, or what do I have to do to make them love me or to make people like me or just the longing for something different or more leading to disappointment. These are, these are part of the human condition. And so, so I think that, that this, this freedom journey, and, and that's if you're looking for a title today, it's like part two of this road trip to freedom. 
It's to understand that much of the New Testament and much of these terms are about our life and God wanting to set us free. I'm going to just read you a bunch of scriptures back to back to kind of set the the platform um, for what I what I saw this week as I studied. The first one is from John chapter eight. It says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Acts chapter 2, this is in, I'm going to read it out of the NIV, but um, you remember um, Simon the sorcerer, and he, he wants to kind of like benefit from the power that he sees in the, in the apostle Paul. He wants what Paul has. And so he, you know, Paul's calling him out, and this is what he says, but there's something key about this idea of captivity. He says in, in Acts 8.22, Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord, and perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, like to kind of benefit from the, the gift of God was the thought. In verse 23, this is where I want to focus you for a second. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Second Peter chapter 2 and 19, this is him talking about the false teacher's message to the church. Mind you, this is after all this Exodus stuff, this is into the New Testament church. This is after Jesus has come and died on the cross and proclaimed freedom to the captives. And here's this message that the enemy wants to perpetrate in the church just to continue along. It says that the false teachers, that they promise them freedom, but they themselves um, are slaves of corruption. Listen to this. For whatever overcomes a person, to that, that person is enslaved. I spoke this a little earlier in the prayer in Galatians um, 2 and then also in 5. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who have slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they may bring us into what? Slavery. And verse 5 says, To them we did not yield in submission, not even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And then finally in, in Galatians 5 and verse 1, it says, For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm and don't submit to a yoke of slavery. And this last verse that I, I scanned through in the New Testament is so important because you remember when, when Jesus started his earthly ministry, what was the first thing that, that he did? He goes into to the wilderness, right? He goes into the, the, to the, you know, to the desert. Do you see any kind of connection here? Forty years, these children of Israel are, are in the desert, and now Jesus goes 40 days into the desert. And there he's tempted by the devil about, you know, what true authority is and all kinds of, of nonsense to, to try to make himself great and prove a point and all of this. And Jesus responds in that moment of warfare. And, and that's a super great message in and of itself. But what's so amazing is that the very next thing that Luke rec- records that Jesus does, like having come out of the, the wilderness he goes to the synagogue, right? So if it was like the gathering of worship, he'd go to a place like this. It was, you know, it was his turn to read. He picks up the scroll of Isaiah. He doesn't just like go to the next thing, right? He doesn't just pick the, but he goes and he's looking and he's finding something. And he, he goes to a certain portion of scripture in Isaiah and he unrolls it. He goes, okay, there it is. And he stands before the people and having just come from the wilderness and overcoming the enemy and the enemy's attempt to hold Jesus captive, this is what Jesus says. Are you ready for it? I mean, are you ready for this? It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me 
to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set to, at liberty those who are impressed, oppressed, excuse me, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, and just to make sure everybody knew what was going on, I mean, he reads this, looking for it, and then just to make sure there was no question mark about what he meant and what he was saying, he does the ultimate mic drop moment. He goes like this. He says, then he rolls the scroll up. And I just imagine, like, everybody was like, what is he doing? Like, Jesus was breaking the script, right? He, he rolls the scroll up, and, and he gave it back to the attendant, and then he sat down. This is so cool. This is so Jesus. He, he's not standing. He's like rolling up. He goes to sit down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. Remember, he's not in front of everyone. He's sitting down. And they're still like, what, is he, what does this mean? And he began to say to them, these are his words, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's amazing. Jesus literally said, I'm the fulfillment of Isaiah. It's me. And this is what I've come to do. This is my mission. This is the whole good news of the gospel. I've come to set you free. And man, when I, when I read this stuff, then I go, oh God, help us to see how amazing you are and how much freedom there is in you. Now listen, th- there's some, some things that I, I, I want to just pr- pass on as, as some principles that came up as I studied. And this is the first thing, okay? Because this message is so clear in the Bible, it's so clear in Exodus, and it's so revolutionary, and it changes the way that we live. But yet, I think for so many, and I can say it of my life, and for so many of us, we have just like barely tapped into the wonder of what freedom really is. The freedom to continue to trust God more. The freedom to to live out our lives as we're created. The freedom to know Him as He ought to be known. And and there's some reasons, I think, and the first one is this. That there is one who wants to hold you captive, right? And mind you, Jesus came and overcame the evil one. But there's one who wants to hold you captive. Right? And, and, and your captor is also a deceiver. Let me say that again. Your captor, the one who wants to hold you captive, is also a deceiver. The way that the Bible describes him is, is that when he speaks, he only knows how to lie. It's the devil, the, the enemy of your soul, and he's, his native tongue is lies, right? And so this first idea is that the captive is a deceiver. The enemy doesn't want you to know that you're enslaved. He doesn't want you to know. He wants to treat you like that elephant, right? He messes with you for portions of your life. You're, you, you, you make choices that, that lead to consequences with sin and whatever else, but he messes with you and doesn't want you to know that you're held captive. He lies to you and tells you you're the freest person you've ever been. And meanwhile, you're living a life that is, is, is not exactly what God wants. And when I say living a life that's not exactly what God wants, I don't mean that, that you know, he wants you to be a better person or whatever else. I'm saying he wants to set you free. And so this isn't a matter of you willing yourself into it. It's receiving what he's done and participating in that freedom. Does that make any sense? But I feel like I wrote it down for a reason that we would hear it, that you, you realize what you're up against is that to, to identify the fact that you're never going to get to the place of freedom that you long to get in if you don't realize that you need it in your life. And especially those of us that have been around church for a long time, if we've grown up in church or if we, we you know, we, we, we do um, the things that church people do, you know, meaning we're faithful in our worship, we're faithful in our giving, we're faithful in our reading, those are all great things. 
But if you're not careful, you can be a very uh, ripe candidate for the deceiver to make you feel like, well, I'm doing all this stuff, so I must, this must be as good as it gets, right? This must be as good as it gets. Your captor is a deceiver. That's why Jesus talked so much and, and healed people of, of blindness and deafness. And, and there was a physical miracle that was happening, but he was also helping them to see their spiritual blindness and their inability to hear and to see. Now there's better news that, that God our deliverer is powerful and he's relational, right? That God our deliverer is powerful and relational. Uh, if you want to put that, that second one up, um, that yes, God can do mountain moving and he can part red seas and he can do all these stuff, but, but he desires for you to be a participant in your rescue uh, by seeing and acknowledging where you need help. He can do anything, but you're a participant in your rescue by seeing and acknowledging where you need help. Why is this important? You know, when, when, when Jesus was walking the earth, do you remember a very clear blind person? And Jesus, and he's, he's calling out to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, what can I do for you? Wasn't it pretty clear what Jesus could do for him? But the blind man acknowledged, Jesus, I, I want you to do this. This goes into the foundation of who God is. That God isn't a puppet master moving the strings. God is a relational God. And he wants to partner with you. He wants to come in. But I, I've quoted this so many times. A.W. Tozer said it. He waits to be wanted. He knocks at the door of your heart. Like these are, these are the things that God does. And he does it out of goodness because he wants to help identify, help you to identify so that you can welcome him into some of these areas. The third thing that I, I wrote down as a kind of a general principle is that, that our deliverer, God, that he's good and he finds the most effective ways to reveal to you your captivity. Now, when I say he finds the most effective ways to reveal your captivity, these are all the things you don't like. These are counting it all joy when you encounter tests and trials. These are leading you three days into the wilderness and making you thirsty so that you hear the grumbles that come out of your heart so that you know the areas where you need to find freedom. That, that these are his goodness, his graciousness to us. He's not, just, um, he's not just expecting that you would know, but he's leading you to a place where you would reach out to him. Does that make sense? God is good and he finds the most effective ways to reveal to you your captivity. And then we said it already, but I'll say it again, that freedom looks like a greater capacity to live as you were created in an ever-increasing love and trust-filled relationship with God, seeing God in truth and seeing yourself in truth. I, um, I've, I've shared this with our, our staff at staff meeting, and um, it's this picture of the iceberg, right? And you've heard this analogy before. It's used in many different um, contexts. But above the water, you see this glacier in the, in the ocean, right? And that's all you see. But what's really going on, what's really creating its stability is what's happening underneath. And it's so much greater. Like what's happening below is so much greater than what's happening above the surface, right? And, and I believe that in this season, and as we're walking through this Exodus um, series, and as we're walking through stuff in life and, and whatever else, that in this season, I, I really think God wants to begin to deal with the stuff that's below the surface. 
We're super good at dealing with the stuff that's above the surface because that's the stuff that everybody can see, right? We maintain that stuff. But everything that we know of Scripture and what we know of life is that if you get that foundation stuff right, then the top stuff will take care of itself. But we spend our wheels spending years of our lives trying to maintain the top portion and not dealing with the underneath stuff, the underlying things. And we wonder why we go through some of these difficulties, why we have a grumble in our heart. It's the goodness of God that's going, I want it, that stuff. I want, I want you to let me into that. And let me tell you something. It's not necessarily fun, but it's wonderful. It's vulnerable to let God into some of these areas of our life. It's difficult to a certain degree, but it's wonderful as he begins to heal our hearts and as he begins to, to shape and mold something beautiful and really, really set us free. And and that's where I'm coming from to you as your pastor of just saying that I don't know specific stories or I'm dealing with a specific thing, but I just have this strong sense that he's doing this in my life and wants to do this in your life, but he's waiting and awaiting the permission to come in and to truly set you free. This freedom that God is talking about is not temperamental, it's this, or uh, temporal. This is, this is a long-term freedom that he wants to bring us into, into another level. Amen? All right, so let's get back into Exodus. I got a little bit of time remaining, and, uh, and I believe God has something for us today uh, in this scripture specifically, um, as well as something to apply together. Um, Exodus 16, I know we read it last week, but I'm going to read it again. Um, it says, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they, had apart, after they departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. And just for funsies, I want you to, to keep track of how many times uh, the word grumbled is now going to be read. Okay? All right. So it says in, in verse 2, The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The people of Israel said to them, would that, um, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven that you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So there was a purpose going on. Keep that in mind, that God was up to something um, with what he was doing with them. In verse 5, on the sixth day, when they prepared what they were to bring in, uh, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And so Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your... Grumbling against the Lord for what we are, um, for what we are, that, that you are grumbling against us. And then Moses said, um, the Lord gives you the evening meat to eat and then the morning bread to the full because he has heard your, that you against him. What are we? Your is not against us, but it's against the Lord. And then Moses and Aaron say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your... 
And as Aaron, as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness. Behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard your... <laughs> of the, <laughs> the grumbling of the people of Israel, say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat in the morning, and you shall be filled with bread, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. Listen, I... I've, I've read this several times, and it's an easy preach, right? The easy preach is don't grumble, right? Isn't that the easy preach? Like, don't grumble. And, and I think that that's often the message that I've come away with is you're not supposed to grumble. You're supposed to be grateful and, and move on. But this time, for some reason, I just kind of stayed there for a little bit. And, and I, I, I looked into, and, and by the way, I'm not preaching some heresy because it is very, the reason it's an easy preach is the New Testament tells us not to grumble. In fact, um, Philippians 2.14 is a great one to, to, um, to memorize. It just says this, do everything without grumbling or disputing, right? It's just a really clear one. And, and so that, that is a clear thing. But as I looked into this and, and I, I would say this, what's happening when you're grumbling? What's happening? Have you ever thought about that? What's going on when you're grumbling? Have you ever thought or have you ever kind of listened to your grumble? I know I'm talking to people who don't grumble that often, right? <laughs> but have you, what's going on when you're grumbling? So instead of us just going, okay, don't do it, trust God and move on, I think it's wise for us if we really want to begin to deal with the iceberg effect, if we really want to let God into some of that stuff, it's maybe a wise question to go, God, what is happening when I'm grumbling? And, and further, what am I actually grumbling about? And, um, and, and I think that sometimes um, we don't even hear ourselves grumbling anymore. Grumbling becomes kind of like personal white noise. Like we don't hear it, but guess what? Let me just let you in on a secret. Everybody else is hearing it, right? But we are a little bit deaf to it, but everybody else is hearing it. Um, and, and I, I pose this question, uh, what would happen if we took note of the things we complain about? What would it reveal? In fact, I made a slide for it so that you can jot this down as maybe an application question. This is not a shame thing. This is not like, stop. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely saying, how do we walk out these scriptures? Maybe a place to start is if the Bible says grumbling a bazillion times, maybe we stop there for a minute and focus on it. What would happen if we took note of the things we complain about? What would it reveal? And maybe I would even put it as a challenge to you throughout the week. Like, ask the Holy Spirit to help you in this. You know, it's, it's again, it's not like behavioral stuff where your behavioral correction, like you snap yourself with a rubber band every time you complain. It's a little deeper than that. It's okay, what is it that I'm complaining about? Is it my job? Is it my relationship? Is it the government? Is it COVID? Is it... Is it what? Begin to, to identify what these things are that you're complaining about, and then it gives you the ability to bring these things to the Lord. And, and, and here's what I believe was happening with the children of Israel, and here's what I think happens with us when we grumble, myself included. We grumble when we're afraid. We grumble when we're disappointed, and we grumble when we're entitled, okay? Three things. There's probably more areas where we grumble, but, but we grumble when we're afraid. You know, you, you, can, you can talk about like food insecurity, right? This is, this is sort of practically what's happening with the children of Israel. They're at this place where now they were once thirsty. Now they're super hungry. And they're, they're reminiscing about their time in, in, in Egypt. And in Egypt, 
they could, they could like take care of themselves because you remember they had flocks and stuff like that. They could make beef. Like they had like really good meals, I would imagine, because they were reminiscing about being around the meat pot. Initially, I thought that that was like, like they sort of slapped the meat on the Egyptians, but the Egyptians didn't care to feed the Israelites. They're like, you guys take care of yourselves. They baked their own bread. They made their own meat. And now they're on a camping trip they never wanted to be on, but they did kind of want to be on it and they don't have any food. And food insecurity and fear and and disappointment and entitlement comes up. Here's the definition of entitlement. Um, The belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment or the fact of having a right to something. And so when those things begin to get pulled away and they get yanked away, we get like, I can't believe they're making me do X, Y, and Z and blah, 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 blah. Grumble and murmur are such awesome English language words because they sound like what they are, right? It's, it just has like this like tone to it. And so the children of Israel's grumbling shows their entitlement. They wanted their rights that they had as slaves. That was their slave right, man. Their beef was their slave right. And now what's all this nonsense about Manna, I don't even know what it is. In fact, it's so funny that the name manna means what is it? And, and quail, right? Like, I want poultry. I want steak. I had steak in Egypt. I want steak. The right to food and drink in the place where they lay their heads overshadowed their opportunity to trust God as their strong deliverer. Listen, as much as I'm super guilty of I want to eat what I want when I want to eat it, and that's a human reaction, God's design and God's plan, and you know this, is always better. It's always better. Now let's just think practically for a second, right? How amazing is manna? For people who are traveling in the, in the, in the desert or the wilderness, you don't have to store it. You don't have to cook it. You don't, have to, you don't have to do anything. It just shows up. It just rains down. And you just collect it and eat it. And it tastes good. Right? I think that's amazing. And it's light and it's easy to digest. And I'm sure there, if it rains from heaven, there's got to be something really like perfect and good about it. What God has designed for us is so much better than what we want. But we get stuck in captivity to our entitlements and what we want that we don't go towards freedom. We prefer slavery because at least I like this better. Oh, it's so frustrating in our lives. It's frustrating in my life. And, uh, and, and so, you know, you, I, I was actually, this was interesting, and, and I, don't, um, I, I don't know that it's true, but in the, in the Midrash, which is the, um, it, it's a, a, a Jewish commentary on Scripture, they were saying of manna that it tasted like whatever you were, wherever you were at. Like, you know how your tastes change? So the, the, the interpretation of the Jewish rabbis um, centuries ago would say that when you ate manna, if you were like younger, it would taste a certain way. If you were older, it would taste. And for the older ones, I don't know if this is true, and you can define what, what means to be older, but for the older ones, it was even sweeter. And all I know is my grandma always had like candy everywhere, you know, candy and like those uh, packaged kind of um, sweet, like really uh, like Twinkies and stuff like that. So, so maybe there's something to it that God knows, but, but at any rate, um, yeah, so, so for the older ones, it tasted sweeter. For the, for the, they said, the, these are the rabbis, this is extra biblical. Um, it said for the, for the children, uh, and especially babies, it tastes like mother's milk and was comforting. Um, 
For the young one, it was like a light bread and so forth. So anyways, that's just a free point. I'm moving on. Okay. <clears throat> the lessons that, that he was teaching them, though, is how to trust how to trust him in the midst of change, right? The change was from slavery to freedom. How to deal with obstacles when you're free. How to eat when you're free. How to rest and trust when you're free. How to fight battles. And that's going to come on into um, Exodus chapter 17. And so the first thing he gives them is manna. Um, it rains from heaven. It's perfect. It's tasty. It's light. It's the whatever amount you gather, it's the right amount. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be stored or cooked or preserved. It's always fresh. The second thing was really interesting to me, too, because, again, God knows what we need in our freedom, but we want what we want from our slavery mentality. He gives them a quail. So I started, like, doing way too much research on quail. Um, but I was thinking to myself, if God gave them quail, it must have been for a reason. And now, remember, you've got a bunch of people, right? So if, you, if he was to give them, like, cattle, a flock of cattle, they would have to stop. They would have to process that meat. They would have to cook it for hours, right? And then deal with all the waste that was there. But this quail is a really fascinating little bird, right? It's, it's, it's plentiful. And for them, certainly it was because it was just raining down from heaven. But, but it is super nutritious. Apparently, it's like far more nutritious with vitamins and minerals in the, the bird. Far exceeds chicken, you know. And it's this little like, you know, when we're doing like events here, like skate stuff or whatever else, we'll say, let's just make it simple. We can just put something in their hand. You know, we'll feed the kids like hot dogs or something because that's super nutritious. But, um, <laughs> but, but it's like you, you do something out of practicality. So here God does something out of practicality for these people. He knows what you need. And this quail is super easy to process. You know, you don't even barely need a knife to do it. You can, you know, just, sorry if it grosses you out, but I mean, if you could pluck the feathers, you could, you could cut this really thin skin to clean it, and then you prepare it. It doesn't take a long time to cook it. You know, you just roast it over a little fire, and then you're eating delicious and nutritious meat that, that is a delicacy. But, but when you're stuck in your entitlement, or when you're stuck in what you want. You can't even see what God's giving you because why? It's different, and it's not what you want. It's captivity, and it was captivity for them. And so, um, yeah, quail's known to be delicious. It's known to be very good for you. It's known to be easy to clean and prepare and eat on the go. It's much better than chicken meat, and it's easy on the digestive system, which is a big deal when there's a ton of people that are traveling in the wilderness. Listen, I, I, I'm not going to go on and on, but I want to go back and, and um, I'm going to read just a little more. I realized I just forgot to read some stuff. Um, Exodus chapter 16 and verse 13. It says, In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was in the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And this is what the Lord commanded. Gather it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. And it goes on with some, some details there. Verse 17, it says, and the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Do you see the wisdom of God? He is righteous and he's a deliverer. He's got you. But each one of them gathered as much as he could. And Moses said to them, let no one leave 
any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and they left some part of it until the morning. And, the, and in it bred worms, and I love this word, and it stank. Uh, <laughs> and Moses, Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it as much as they could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Again, there's so much more to say about this and really gets into this cool part about Sabbath, which I think is so important. But for the sake of time and really focus, I think that uh, I want to come back to this central point I really believe God has for us. And, and that's to understand um, what freedom really is and to, to relinquish some of our rights to things that we think we need or want in exchange for freedom that he wants to give us. To, to relinquish some of our entitlements, to, to lay before him some of our disappointments. And that, in that way, opening our hearts and our hands to some real freedom and some real healing, some stuff that comes that's underneath the surface, not up here. And so I want to review some of these things that I said earlier and just remind you that as you go throughout the week, and maybe even as you're listening now, and, and I'm not saying this obnoxiously, it's going to sound like I am, but even as you're listening to it now, it might sound to you like, blah, blah, Danny's going psycho babble on us, Let, you know, get back into something else. That's okay. Be reminded that your captor is a deceiver. <laughs> he really doesn't want you to think there's any captivity in your life. If you don't think there's any captivity in your life, you'll go, oh, that whole below the surface thing is bogus. Let's just move on, suck it up, and move forward, right? So remember, throughout this time of allowing the Holy Spirit into your life, you don't have to go drumming stuff up, but you, as one who knows how we're made and, and who God is, remember your captor is a deceiver, and he wants you to be spiritually blind. Secondly, that your deliverer is powerful and relational. He's powerful. He can move mountains. He can heal wounds. He can heal our hearts. But his nature is to do it in relationship, and he wants to do it with your permission and along with you. Secondly, that, that our deliverer is good, and he finds the most effective ways to reveal your captivity. Don't be surprised when we're tested by God, and that testing reveals grumbling. When grumbling comes about, you work on not grumbling because the Bible tells us not to do it, but you don't just sock it away. You take some time to listen to what you're complaining about. Habakkuk did this, and God walked him through that process. Listen to what you're complaining about and offer that stuff up to the Lord. You might find that when you're so frustrated that it's taking extra time for the server to bring out your food that you demanded because you're paying good money for it, and as you're grumbling around the table, you might just go, ooh, let me rewind a little bit and go, God, help me. Help me to not be entitled. Help me to be thankful and grateful for the things that you've given me. Help me not to demand my rights in this moment that just because I got money, I want my steak when I want it, how I want it. And again, we're talking about food, but it's far beyond food. The, the, the second thing that, or the last and, and final thing is that freedom looks like a greater capacity to live as you were created in ever-increasing love and trust-filled relationship with God, seeing God in truth and seeing yourself in truth. This whole road trip to freedom was about learning how to trust God. For the rest of our lives, we're putting these awesome experiences and opportunities to learn to trust God. And the more we trust Him, the more free that we are. I wanted to invite the worship team to come back and with just the, the time that we have remaining. Uh, I, I want to sing this song and, and, and really let maybe this message settle in. 
And I want to give you an opportunity to, um, to respond to it. And I, I, I felt this as I, was, um, as I was preparing it, that it's important to, to share these things, but it's important to give opportunity, like, in the moment, in community, together to respond to it. And, and that's to say that, like, when we're listening to these teachings and we're listening to the things that, that God's speaking to our hearts, that I'm so guilty of this so often, I think, yeah, when I get out of here, I'm going to think deeper on that, and then I'm going to do something about it. But how many of us know that when we get out of here, what's waiting for us? Something crazy, something fun, something distracting, you know, something that we deserve, you know, whatever it, it, it might be. And so we've got this moment, right? And in this moment, um, I think that God wants to begin to do something in, in response to his, this message. And, and so as they sing this song, uh, I want you to think about and, and, and really figure out for a moment some of the things that you're complaining about, okay? And this isn't to say that your complaints aren't righteous. When I say righteous, meaning true, you know? That, 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 but think about some of the things that you're complaining about. Think about what it would look like to identify that grumbling, you know, and say, okay, you know what, God, I, I see specifically in this area. And remember what I said. I believe that there's, we can isolate it down to three things. We're, we're grumbling about some things that we're afraid of, right? We're fearful of. We're fearful of some, losing something, someone taking something or whatever else. We're grumbling because of some disappointments. And we're grumbling because of some entitlements, and if the Holy Spirit would, would just bring you some understanding on that, the invitation is to come to the altar and just go, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk that out. I'm going to respond to that and go, you know what? I might have been storing up like two years of disappointment over something or, or whatever else or even more. And, and I'm going to come and I'm going to lay that before you in, in a heart of repentance of just saying, God, I, I've been taking care of some of this stuff because I didn't think that you could, you know? And, and maybe we don't think it that way. We don't consciously do it, but that's, that's really the sum of it. And so, so what are some of the things that we need to lay down? Some fears that we need to lay down, some disappointments, and some entitlements. And we'll spend a little bit of, of time at the altar. The, the, the word that came to me was that the, the language of captivity is grumbling, but the language of freedom is gratitude, right? The language of captivity is grumbling, but the language of freedom is gratitude. And so we want to bring our grumble and just go, it's here, and exchange it for gratitude. To go, God, I, I know you're not going to maybe change something overnight. Maybe you can. But I'm going to thank you that you can. So would you stand with me? The song that, um, that, that they're going to play is just so beautiful in the lyrics. And I'd invite you to listen to, to what's being said. I'd invite you to listen to um, the truth that's being sung. If you guys could just begin to play that song and
as they continue to play the song, I, I want to give you the opportunity to take a step out of your seat because I, I believe that um, there is something powerful that happens when we put ourselves out there. And it's not for the person who's to the right or left of you. It's not, not for me. But it's to be able to say before God, God, here I'm, I'm walking towards you in this area. And specifically, if you're able to identify, God, there's some fears that I'm, I'm hanging on to. There's some, some disappointments that I'm hanging on to. And there's some entitlements that I'm hanging on to. I just want to invite you to get free of them. And I want to pray. And I want us to pray together as a church body. But I want to invite you to come to him, to come and taste and see that the Lord is good, to, to not just be hearers of the word, um, but to make steps towards being a, a doer of his word because your, your deliverer is good. He's come to bring you freedom, but your captor's a liar and he's a deceiver and he wants to keep you held in just okay when God wants to bring you into promise to a promised land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. But he does it graciously. He does it his way. But it begins with our attitude and our response to go, I surrender to your way, which is so much better than mine. Even if I think I want something different, I submit to your way. So please, if, if it's in your heart to do this, just respond to the Lord by making steps towards him and just offering this stuff as they play the song again. Just lay it down before him and pray it through and then we're going to dismiss. Forever.
before you to be your servants to follow you and we say God over all things we trust you you are the king of kings you are the lord of lords and our freedom looks like trusting you more you know that's what that journey through the wilderness was 40 years of learning how to trust God and being put in situations where there was the choice to either trust him or not and God we ask you for for more grace Lord, to, to trust you and some of these things that are overwhelming. And, and, and I want to make this really clear that there are some of the things that you're laying down to God right now that are really heavy and are really precious, that they aren't like, the, 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 these, this journey into freedom isn't some kind of like lighthearted thing. This is your life. These are the things that you're experiencing. This is what's below the surface. And, and this isn't a one-time deal, but, but, but this is a journey into more freedom, to trusting him more today than you did yesterday. And God is good. Your deliverer is good, and he can do amazing things. And sometimes the road trip leads you to a, a down moment, but there's another moment beyond that moment. And the playlist, remember the song that we sing in our hearts and in our minds is, I will sing unto the Lord because he's triumphed victoriously. The horse and the rider he threw into the sea. God, there's no thing that you can't handle in our lives. There's no circumstance or situation or news break that you're not already aware of. And so we submit to you our fears. And here at this altar together as a church body, we just say, God, come into those areas of fear and bring about faith, Lord. Bring about a, a resurrected understanding of how victorious you really are and how in control you truly are. Lord, we together as a church body bring to you our disappointments. Some of them are so painful. Things that we've missed, things that we've longed for, things that haven't come to fruition. Lord, we, we bring to you the things that we don't understand and we say that in that we trust that you're good, that our deliverer is good. We trust you, God, and we ask you that you would deal tenderly with our hearts, Lord, that you, would, you, God, would minister deeply in some of those areas of disappointment. Lord, and finally, God, we come to you humbly because, Lord, your word says that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. We don't come to you with arrogant entitlement. We come to you as sons, daughters, and servants, and we say thank you for all that you've given us. Our, our language of freedom is gratitude. And we just say, thank you, God. Thank you for allowing us to be alive in this moment. Lord, thank you, God. Lord, thank you for, for, for even the, the things that you're teaching us, as difficult as they are. We say, thank you, because you're involved in our lives. Lord, we trust you. We honor you. We recognize your grace holds us. And that's right where we want to be. We want to be in the center of your will. So bless, I bless your people, God. I bless them.
I pray that you would reveal yourself this week as the strong deliverer. I pray that you would reveal the, the moments in time where the enemy is bringing deception. I pray that you would give us a, a, a clear understanding of the things that we're frustrated and grumbling about so that we might be free of them. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We thank you. Bless your people. Strengthen and encourage them this week, I pray. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen.